Welcome to Village Church of Gurney podcast. This week, we finish up in our series in 3 John. The name of the series is called Love and Truth. And the name of the sermon is Gospel Work is Shared Better Together. And Pastor David will be preaching from 3 John 12 through 15. Let's join Pastor David now. Uh, well, as, as Brandon just mentioned, please do meet me there, uh, 3 John. Uh, today we're looking at verses 12 to the end. As not only we wrap up this uh, series through this letter, uh, but in some ways it completes the series all the way through uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as we look at these uh, in some ways small yet profound uh, messages of God's Word, passages that are just as applicable in John's time as they are uh, today. So today, 3rd John, uh, verses 12 through 15. Let me read them uh, for us. Third John 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. John writes to Gaius, I, I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Let me pray. Father, as we look at your word, uh, we ask that you would shape us, mold us, transform us. And Lord, as we remember this ancient text, these ancient writings, yet are always and ever true, that transform us and shape us into your image. So Father, we ask that you would do that today. And as we think back of all the weeks that we have gone through, First John and Second John and Third John, may May, they, may this not just be information for our mind, Lord, but may it be a transformative work in our hearts and our lives, that this would be truth not just understood but done, a truth not just comprehended but a truth that shapes how we see life and see you and see ourselves in light of who you are and that our lives and families and neighborhoods and, um, would be transformed by the power of the gospel. So, Father, uh, move amongst us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, many of you might know the phrase, uh, it's, I think, a common phrase, uh, that is, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing together. And if there is a work worthy of putting our hands to and engaging in and doing, that work is often a work done better together. Uh, and I think this is true of a whole bunch of different areas of our lives. I know we've got some engineers or engineer-minded people in our, in our midst in congregation, and as you look at, at buildings or bridges or structures or cities, you know that these wonderful things are not the work of just one person or one set of hands, but many, 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 many people. It's true of infrastructure in life, isn't it? Hospitals and education and school systems and police forces and firefighters, all of this, if there's a work worth doing... It's worth doing together, linking arms and locking arms and working for the common good. And this is true of different areas of our life as well. Families, isn't it, is it not true? That we are all of us raised not just by uh, one or two people per se, but, but by dozens and hundreds of influences and people in our lives. And if there is a work worth doing, why not do it together? And I think as we look and reflect on God's Word today, we are going to see that gospel work, the work of seeing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, 
Gospel work is a work worth doing. Verse 12, let me read it again. A new character is introduced to the story. Demetrius, who has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Now, in this short letter, we, we don't know a ton about the characters of this story, but we know just by way of brief overview of this letter, remember John is writing to Gaius. On one level, a very simple ask is made. Can you, Gaius, partner with me, John, in accepting these traveling missionaries, seeing them from point A to point B to carry out the work of the gospel that has been entrusted to uh, them? We, we get a few verses into the letter in verse 9. We see the, the villain of the story, as it were, Diotrephes, who is subverting and undoing and seeking to dismantle this partnership in the gospel that John and, and Gaius and others are seeking to advance. And now we come to verse 12. Demetrius enters the scene. And commentators write that it is a, a high probability that actually Demetrius himself may have been the one to deliver this very letter to John in the first place that he was the letter carrier, that he perhaps was the courier. And not only that, that Demetrius was among those who needed this hospitality from Gaius to see this work of ministry carried on. Now remember, as we've reflected throughout this letter, hospitality in biblical times was actually a high-stakes type of work. It was a high-stakes kind of ministry. Remove all the Airbnb connotations, all the Holiday Inn connotations that we have, in terms of hospitality, and enter into a scene, remember, in a honor-shame culture where hospitality, there were no hotel structures as we had, that word of mouth, networking, and hospitality seen to carry on the work of others through partnership was a big deal and actually pretty high stakes because there was a measure of social risk for the host and for the guest. Because when you host someone in biblical times and you show them hospitality, it's, it's a statement. It's saying, I'm with you and you're with me. The work that you're doing is work that I'm doing. That all that you will carry out is in some way now something, that, something I am carrying out with you in partnership with you. So it was incredibly important that you knew who you were hosting and what they were for. Because when you host someone, now you're for what they're for. Your work is their work. And it's high stakes. In an honor-shame culture, if, if uh, the wrong person was hosted, that could uh, taint your character amongst the community for, for a good time to come. So it's high stakes for the host. It's also high stakes for the guest. Because if you get rejected, if you get refused hospitality, that was a statement to the community. So this very, what seems to be very small, can you host these traveling missionaries, was... A big deal. Not only was it a big deal because hospitality was a big deal, but it's also a big deal because, again, Diotrephes, remember verse 9 last week? He's trying to undo this stuff. He's thwarting it. He's slowing it down. He's hindering it. He's putting a stick in the spokes of the wheel, if you were. He's on somewhat of a self-appointed witch hunt to find people who are hosting these missionaries and to discourage it or put them out of the community. And that's why we see that it's so important that John communicates to Gaius who Demetrius is and that he's got his backing. So three different ways. Look at verse 12. Three different ways. John says to Gaius, you can trust this guy. He's a good guy. Look at this. Verse 12. Demetrius, number one, has received a good testimony from everyone. 
this um, a pretty comprehensive statement that essentially is saying everyone that's in Demetrius's circles and spheres, they know him, they know his character, they know that he's a good guy, that he's walking the walk, as it were. And that's exactly also, number two, not only has Demetrius received a good testimony from everyone, but he's also received a testimony from the truth itself. Now that phrase, from the truth itself, probably does not mean that he's received a testimony from the second person of the Trinity, from Jesus Christ himself. What it most likely means is that Demetrius's faithfulness to the gospel, that just his track record of living the Christian life in his life and around those uh, near him, that he's built up a, a history and a track record and a spiritual resume of proving his faithfulness to the Lord. John's saying he's walking the walk. He's, he's practicing what he's preaching. He's, he's done this before, and people have seen that. And then number three, John says, and we also add our testimony, and you know our testimony is true. So John says, Gaius, I know this guy. And the other apostles around me, the others who are entrusted to steward this uh, work over these churches, we know him. We can vouch for him. You can receive him. And again, we might wonder, why does John go so out of his way to over and over and over say, trust this guy, receive this guy, accept this guy? Because in some ways, this entire letter is presenting a decision point for Gaius. Will I receive these, in this instance, traveling missionaries to carry them out on their work, or will I refuse them? Am I going to accept uh, this baton offered, this gospel opportunity given in my hands, Gaius perhaps was thinking, do I accept this or do I reject it? Do I partner or do I deny partnership? And a decision point is made. And I think this gives us a glimpse into a, a character trait that all Christians throughout all history are needed for or, or have to call on into living out the Christian life. And very simply, I think it's faithfulness. Faithfulness. That we'd be faithful to the call that God has given us, that when opportunities come uh, and those decision points come in our life, it presents us an opportunity to ask and answer the question, who am I going to be faithful to? And in that faithfulness, I think right underneath that word is courage. <laughs> courage and strength. That to live the Christian life is always been expressed, has always been lived out in times of challenge, in times of difficulty, in times of uncertainty, in times of real risk. And here we have one of those instances, this decision point offered to Gaius. And when I think about this idea of us being faced with decision points in our life, will we be faithful to Christ? Will we follow him courageously? Will we follow him in a way that we are faithful Faithfulness formed by love and faithfulness formed by truth. Because if we seek to be faithful to Christ's call in our life, and in moments when we need to have courage, if that faithfulness is not formed by love, we're going to come across mean, harsh. And if that faithfulness to Christ is not formed by truth, that faithfulness is going to be rudderless, blown and tossed by the wind. Faithfulness formed and shaped by love and by truth. And in those moments, sometimes required of us, courage courage to be faithful to Christ and for the work that he has given us. And sometimes I think of my own life, decision points in, in my life where I, I knew 
that in some ways this is a small glimpse of a moment where I have to decide, Lord, am I going to be faithful to you or am I going to be faithful to something or, or someone else? And sometimes I'll reflect back on the times when I knew I blew it, when I had an opportunity and I didn't take it, when I knew that there was an opportunity to speak and I shied away, when I knew there was a conversation I either should have or should not have engaged in, Decision points in my life where I knew this is an opportunity to live out a faithful Christian witness and I've backed away or fell short. Have you ever asked the question or, or dug deeper, why? What's underneath the moments of our lives where we aren't faithful, where we do have an opportunity to live a faithful Christian witness and we, we miss it? And sometimes when I think back on those moments, I start to realize and see that in those moments, perhaps I was living for something else or someone else. Now, there could be dozens of different answers. That's a massive question. There could be dozens of different reasons why at times our courage falters or wanes, where our faithfulness does not see itself through. At least one strain of thought, one thing that I discovered as I was reflecting back on my own life is asking myself, Lord, what was I living for in those moments? And here's a list of just only three things uh, that I want to illustrate how this can show up in our lives. Number one, if we find in our heart of hearts, if we live, for one example, approval, if we are navigating our life with our friends and family and coworkers and whatever that might be, and if what we are truly living for is not for Christ, but for approval, to be liked, to be appreciated, to be seen, to, to have someone that we care about praise us. If we're living for approval, sure, we might follow Jesus. We might worship him. We might even call on him to help us in our journey and in our life. But when it gets to the decision moment, when following Jesus might risk our approval before others, a fear of others, do you see, very quickly we discover who or what we are actually worshiping and if we are living for approval to be liked by others, you know what's going to happen to Jesus? He's going to get demoted. We were faithful to an idol. We bowed a knee to another God. And Jesus gets demoted. And, and, and in those moments, our courage and our faithfulness falters, doesn't it? That's one example. Here's another example. If we are living for stability or security, sure, we might pray to Jesus, we might worship Jesus, we might follow, we're, and we might, might even be Christians. But if the true core heart of our heart is, I just want to make sure I have a stable and secure life, there's going to be moments in your life where you've got decision points, and where following Christ might either real or perceived, has a real or perceived threat to the stability and security of your life. Do you see? In those moments, we've got to ask, who am I living for? Who am I truly worshiping? And if I'm living for stability and security, Jesus is going to get demoted. In those moments, those press us, right, to decide, am I going to sacrifice integrity out of a perceived pursuit of stability and security? Am I going to totally reprioritize values and time and, 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 and things I say and don't say to help worship a God or worship the God. And we get those decision points in our lives. Here's another one. Approval, uh, stability, dreams, hopes and dreams. All of us, all of us. And these aren't necessarily bad. By the way, as I'm going through this list, these are idols, right? 
And the reason they're so sneaky is because they're not bad in and of themselves. But when they take place over Jesus, they become false gods in our heart and in our life. And if we are living for our hopes and dreams, career goals, goals that you may have for your children or grandchildren, uh, maybe you've got hopes and dreams and goals for a certain square footage of a home or a certain zip code to be in. And all these goals are not bad in and of themselves, but if we are living for them, sure, we might worship Jesus, we might follow Jesus, we might even ask Jesus to help us achieve those goals, but the moment Jesus calls us to make a decision that might threaten our real dreams, our real goals, we will discover very quickly what God, lowercase g or uppercase g, is going to reign and rule in our hearts. And I can remember a whole bunch of times in my life where if I'm honest with my, myself, the reason I wasn't faithful in those moments is because I was bowing a knee to a, di a different God, a different Savior, chasing after things that only God could supply, that only God could provide, but we, our hearts try to find them in other things. One of the reformers said that our hearts are idol-making factories, that we do this constantly. We've got God-sized needs that we chase after. And if we try to find those in anything else but God, anything else but Jesus, He will get demoted in our life. And my friends, Jesus makes for a pretty poor intern. He makes for a pretty poor assistant. But He makes for a perfect Savior and a rightful King. If we are coming to Jesus to say, Lord, can you help me get what I really want? He's going to disappoint you at times. He's going to frustrate you at times. He's not going to deliver on deadlines that you give him because that's not his role in our heart. He wants us to bow the knee to him and him alone. And when we do that, when he is the center of our hearts and of our lives, and those decision points come, that's where courage and faithfulness meet. That we are not courageous because we have a specific personality, Christian courage doesn't come from uh, being the Rambo character of the Christian faith. It doesn't come from a specific temperament. It comes from proximity and fidelity to Christ. No matter what comes our way, that we'd say, Lord, I bow the knee to you and, and you alone. And that's what creates in those moments the ability to be faithful to what God has called us to. Let me go through that list one more time. And now think of it this way. If Christ... If Christ is what we are ultimately living for, there'll be moments in your life where you have approval and disapproval from those around you. And that might be nice or that might be hard, but it's not going to crush you anymore if you lose the approval of others. Or it's not going to puff you up if you have all the approval of others. Why? Because you've got the approval of Christ. Because he's yours and you are his. And he delights in you by sheer and utter grace. And that means the approval meter can go up and down all at once. And yes, and I don't mean to trivialize, it is hard. Sure, it is hard. When those around us or those around you don't approve or disapprove or are hard or nitpicky or, or kind of mean, is that hard? Yes, but it no longer crushes you because you've got Christ and he is all you need. Another one, if Christ is at your center, whether you have or don't have a, a, a measure of actual or perceived stability or security, if that comes and goes or ebbs and flows, it doesn't crush you if you lose it. It doesn't puff you up if you have it. Because Christ is your center. He's your provider. He's your king. He is the one who provides our daily bread. And he is our anchor. Number three, 
if Christ is at the center of your heart and he is your purpose, if he is your goal, then do you see if you achieve some of these other goals in your life or family or career, go ahead, achieve them. And if they come and you get them and you arrive there, what a wonderful gift. But you see, it doesn't, it doesn't become your whole universe because Christ is your universe or vice versa. If you have all these goals, all these dreams, all, the, all these hopes, and none of them happen, they're all crushed. They all get upended. If that happens, do you see you have an anchor you have someone to lean back on that if even your greatest of dreams that you have for your life or the life of your kids or grandkids, if it doesn't come into fruition, you're not undone. You're not destroyed. You still have him. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point, okay, pastor, how in the world did we go from Demetrius to my goals? <laughs> Help me out here. Let me bring it back full circle. Gaius is placed in a position where he's got to make a decision. Do I stay faithful to Christ? And in this instance, receive these traveling missionaries and partner with John and partner in this gospel work that has been presented to me, or do I decline it? Do I deny it? It's a decision point in his life, like the hundreds of decision points that you and I have in life. And my friends, in those moments, as Christ is the center and we look at the work of what God is doing through his people, it is a work worth doing. It's something worth quite literally aligning every single aspect and nook and cranny and second of your life. It's worth aligning it all to Christ and aligning it all to what he has called you to do and to be. It's worth it <laughs> because we are seeking as, as, as God's people, as his children, as his church, to, that God would continue to work through us. His kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. This is the work that he's called us to do, to advance the gospel. It's a work worth doing. And if it's worth doing, it's worth doing together. It's better done together. Look at 13 to 15. John says, I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. And in these verses, we see very clearly John cares about his friend Gaius. You can see the brotherhood and the friendship just oozing out, formed uh, through partnership in the gospel in seasons past. I had much to write to you, John says. I'd rather not use text and email. I'd rather not use FaceTime or Zoom. Nothing replaces face-to-face. -face. I want to see you face-to-face, -face, and I, I hope to see you soon. Now this little phrase, one commentator notes that this phrase, I hope to see you soon, raises ever so slightly a condition. It raises, though small, it raises the question, will Gaius partner with John? And it raises a question that this letter doesn't answer. It's in somewhat an unanswered question in this passage carries on the question in our hearts and in our lives. That John writes to Gaius, won't you receive these missionaries? And I really hope to see you soon. In some ways, winks at Gaius to say, how you answer this is going to determine what, what our partnership looks like. And I hope to see you soon, won't you receive them? Now, there, there's a whole bunch of signals in this letter that seem to suggest that Gaius is going to say yes. I don't want to leave you an utter cliffhanger. Uh, John's relationship and friendship and care for his friend Gaius, verse 1 
Gaius's high praise that he's faithful to the truth, verses 2, 3, and 4. Gaius's love shown to others, uh, that all those are testifying to his love before the church, verse 6. That yes, it is an uncertain, challenging times, verse 9, where Diotrephes is seeking to undo this work. This high praise of Demetrius, kind of an airtight case of, hey, this is an opportunity worth taking. And John ending this letter with this incredible uh, expression of blessing and hope and friendship and partnership. So the signals do seem to point to the direction that Gaius is going to say yes, that he's going to partner, that he's going to take up this baton that's been offered to him. But I think there's something worth exploring, this idea. Will he? Will he take it up? Will he say yes to this partnership? The baton's been offered. Is he going to take it? and carry it. And we don't know, but I, I just wonder what John would have thought as he went to bed at night wrestling through questions of what it meant to be a, a pastor and a shepherd during this time. Imagine this, John. He's walked with Jesus. He's seen Jesus' work. He's seen miracles take place. He's heard Jesus' teaching. He's been there for some of these massive milestones of redemptive history in person with Jesus, the tomb, the cross. He heard Jesus speak these words and penned them in the Gospel of John, that Jesus would be ascending and leaving, but then sending the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to carry out the work of the risen, exalted Jesus Christ through his people, throughout all generations, to the ends of the earth. John was there when, when Jesus gave them the Great Commission, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching Jesus, John was there when Jesus ascended in the early chapters of the book of Acts as these group of Christians prayed and devoted their hearts and lives. And here we are, here we see John, amongst other of the apostolic leaders of this time, of biblical times, seeking to carry out the work of the gospel, offering this baton of partnership to Gaius, and he doesn't know if he's going to say yes. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? I wonder if he asked the question. We don't know, but I wonder if he asked, are we going to weather this? Am I going to weather this? Is the ministry that God has called me to going to weather this storm? Because these were uncertain times. Hospitality was risky. Travel was difficult. Diotrephes is trying to undo and thwart the work of the gospel that is seeking to be, to, to be carried out. And here we have John writing this letter and sending it away, not knowing how Gaius is going to respond. Are we going to weather this? We certainly don't know what John thought about when he went to bed at night and reflected on how this letter was sent and how it was received and what would be done next. But we can take a pretty good stab at some of the things that keep you and I up at night, perhaps. As you, as you think about trying to live out a faithful Christian witness in these present times, Perhaps some of you are going to bed at night. Maybe you're reflecting back on years or decades of walking with Christ. And now you're seeking to raise uh, uh, grandchildren. You're pouring into your adult children and grandchildren. And as you're going to bed at night, you might quietly wrestle in your heart and mind saying, the, the world that my grandchildren are or will grow up in is a world that I do not recognize. And that terrifies me. Other side of the generational coin. 
Perhaps you, maybe you're younger in the faith, trying to, or younger in age and in the faith, trying to live out a faithful Christian witness in your lifetime. And as you look at your parents and grandparents, you might be wrestling quietly at night. The universe that my parents and grandparents grew up in, I don't recognize that, and, and that terrifies me. Are we going to weather this? Uncertain times, challenges, difficulty in work or in your home. Uh, uncertainty about what's going to happen in the world. We see this at global levels. Christians all around the world, especially the Middle East, right, in times like these come to our mind. Are we going to weather this? Is light going to triumph over darkness? Is good going to triumph over evil? Will it be true what Jesus says, that the gates of hell will not prevail? Is that true, or are we going to weather this storm? Maybe for some of you, you're going to bed at night reflecting on conversations that you've had with friends or family, relationships that you've cultivated for decades and years, and perhaps something happened in current events over the past couple of years that caused a, a fracture in a relationship. Maybe there was a relationship so strained, like a rubber band brought all the way to its length, and at some point over the last couple of years, it felt like it snapped. You might be thinking, I, I haven't spoken to this person for months. Am I going to weather this? And as we seek to live out faithfully the Christian life in challenging and uncertain times, I find a unique comfort as the baton is handed to us to carry on the gospel work that has been given to us for generation to generation. I find a unique comfort in going back to that very first scene when the church, well, right before the church was born, in the beginning of the book of Acts. Remember as I read on, listen as I read on, Jesus says to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he says that, it says, as they were looking on, as they were looking at Jesus, he ascends, and he goes back into heaven, and that's it. <laughs> and it says that they, they stare into heaven, gazing at what had just happened. And I don't know about you, but if I was among them, if I was there, I'd be, say, I, I'd be thinking... Hey, did anyone write that down? <laughs> Jerusalem, what was it? What was the order? Where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? What's the tactic? What's the strategy? How are we supposed to do this? He just gave us this ultimate gospel baton, right? Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Bye. <laughs> oh, what? Is that it? And then we see in this very next scene that these followers of Jesus, these early disciples in the book of Acts, they go back to Jerusalem they go, back, they go to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Adolphus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. To prayer. If I would have been in that prayer meeting, I'd be saying, help, 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 Lord, help, help us, help We've just been given this global mission, and now what do we do? I wonder if they went to bed at night thinking, will we weather this? This small, fledgling um, new thing that Jesus has brought, uh, salvation in him that we are now to, sh to share in the, the birth of the church, are we going to weather this? Friends, Christianity, the gospel, has always, always advanced in seasons of uncertainty, always advanced in seasons of challenge and difficulty. And history shows, ironically, 
almost advances better, faster, truer in the middle of challenge and difficulty and pain. And as we reflect back and just wonder in our imaginations, I wonder if they felt, if they asked the same questions we were asking, and I think that's yes. Will we weather this? So when you wrestle with that question, I want you to look in two different directions. First, look backward at 2,000 years of church history. Look backward even deeper, all the way to the beginning of the book of the Bible itself. I wonder if the Dietrich Bonhoeffer's ever asked, will we weather this? A pastor who lived and served in Nazi Germany, will we weather this? I wonder if the William Wilberforce has ever asked that question, will we weather this? The work to undo the slave trade in Great Britain, will we weather this storm? And I think every single generation, every single moment, every single generation, as we hold the baton of the gospel and are seeking to advance it and carry out and hand it off, when we ask, Lord, are we going to weather this storm? Look backward. Look backward and see testimony and story after story of God's faithfulness, of seeing his church and his people, the capital C universal church that is literally the very hands and feet God's spirit of the risen Christ working through his people to continue the work that he started when he was on earth, he will see us through, see his faithfulness. Look backward and then look to the end of the story. Look forward to the final chapters. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are going to be there. Representatives from the ends of the earth. When the new Jerusalem comes down, God with us Sin, gone. Pain, gone. Death, gone. Loss, gone. All of these things. And we'll be with God, the risen Lamb, His glory to light the day. No need of sun, for he will, be, he will be its light. So when you wrestle through that question, Lord, I, can't, I, can't, I don't recognize the universe my kids are growing up in. Lord, we don't know what we're going to do in this next season. Lord, how are you going to see your church through the challenges that either we face or we face as, as global Christians, will we weather this, friends? The answer is yes. It's yes. It's yes. Look back and think back of all the times throughout the Bible when we would have wrestled through that question and see God's work continuing through his people, this work of the gospel. And my friends, do you see how important it truly is? And if gospel work is worth doing... It is worth doing together. It's worth devoting our lives to. It's worth taking all of our talents that God has given us and, and, and aligning them to, to carry out the work that he is doing through whatever it looks like, your family, your vocation, your career, your neighbors, conversations with others. The way you see life, align it to him. It's worth it. And it's worth partnering and locking arms with one another to do this incredible work together. Many of you know that for many months, many months, a village church has been going through a, a season of discerning the next mission, vision, values of our church. A fresh articulation of asking the question, Lord, where do you want us, village church, to go in the weeks and months and years and, and decade to come? And this goes back, well, even before, but many of you may remember an uh, interim season we were uh, in. Uh, Pastor Rick Foster was with us. Remember that? felt like, like a decade ago. And he was here, and one of the things that he handed to us was to do the work of answering the question of articulating and discerning the next mission, vision, values of our church. 
And we've been working on that literally for months, all the way through this COVID season, working and praying and discerning and discussing and field tripping and researching and all of these things. And we look forward to tonight at our business meeting, revealing and showing uh, what we believe we've discerned and discovered uh, from God's Word, the calling that He has given to us as a church, this fresh articulation of the mission, vision, values. Now, we're going to share that tonight at our business meeting. You might think, what if I'm not there? Don't worry. We're also going to start to unpack this thing literally over months. All the way through the fall season, the preaching rotation and the calendar is going to be passages that speak into what this mission and vision values is and what it means. All the way into the new year, January, February of, of the next calendar year, we'll be unpacking and showing and praying and discerning and, 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 and leading in this, in this direction. And I'm going to be completely honest with you, as I was first service, I said the same thing. There, I don't know if there's anything more that simultaneously excites me and terrifies me at the same time. <laughs> because, friends, when we, when we put our hands to do the work of the gospel, we are not just trying something hard. We're trying something impossible. That if we're going to be about the work of continuing this work of life transformation, of the dead coming to life, of families being transformed and lives being transformed. Do you see? This is not just hard work. It's impossible. It's impossible for us. And it has to be something that God himself, through us, he is the only one that can achieve it. Do you see? On the one hand, it's terrifying, isn't it? When you're seeking to lead in a direction that you know, this task will be utterly impossible if God is not with us. Now, do you see? It's simultaneously terrifying and exciting. Because what God puts his hand to happens. That we seek to do this work not in our own strength, not because we're so great, not that we got the magical set and key of, of, of people on the bus or resources that we need, or, 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 or we, if we just do enough organizational tweaks, then we might discover and we'll find it. No, no, no. This is a work that God must do. And God must do through us. And I don't know what could be more exciting. I don't know what could be more worth devoting our prayer and our hearts to. So as we go through this season, and as we reflect on that question, Lord, are we going to weather this? May you look at his faithfulness. May you look forward to the end of the story. May you find deep, profound encouragement and peace and comfort. And may you see that this work of the gospel, that us together as a corporate church, us together as individual Christians and individual church members, the work that God gives us in the gospel it's worth doing. So may we do it together. Let's pray. Father, as we think and reflect on these words, we ask that by your Spirit you would minister to us exactly how we need it in this moment. Father, for those who need a word of encouragement, courage, strength, Lord, may you provide it. May you provide it with a reminder of the proximity of you to us by your Spirit. To those, Lord, who need a sense of, of, of being wrapped up into something bigger than themselves, Lord, would you, would you show us that in redemptive history we have that. Lord, that you have so chosen in your sovereignty and your grace as you are working out this incredible story and plan of redemptive history, you have welcomed us to partner with you in that work. May that fill us with a sense of purpose and meaning. May that 
Uh, May that help us to face each week with our chin up, with hope, not because of who we are, but because who you are. So, Father, may this work be done that you may receive all the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.